So we're getting into it. We're in a series. We're actually moving toward the end of the series. Next Sunday's the big day. I hope you're already making plans. Rearrange whatever you have to to be here for one of our services next Sunday. We're calling it Breaking Free Sunday, and we're kind of putting a, the, our foot down and saying, nope, Satan, not today, not tomorrow, not the next day, not ever. We're establishing what we need to do in order to be able to say that with real authority, not just personal authority, but the authority of God, the authority of God's word. And so I hope you'll plan to be a part of that service next Sunday, either 9 or 11 o'clock. And, uh, and if you're out of the area, then online, by all means, join us, be a part of it. But today, we, we wrap things up. We've been talking, for those of you that are new, about the three primary schemes that Satan uses to keep us from the abundant life that Jesus promised. He's only got three. He used them in the Garden of Eden very successfully against Adam and Eve uh, <coughs> by, by saying, did God really say that? Well, I don't know if he really said that or not. And then later on, he tried to use it against Jesus when he was in the wilderness having fasted for 40 days before he began his public ministry. And Jesus uh, won that battle. Satan failed miserably when he said, here's what, here's what I say, and Jesus said, doesn't matter what you say, here's what God says. God says, worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus won. And what I've been trying to say every week throughout this series is that the same power that Jesus used to win the battle is available to you. It's called the sword of the Lord. It's called the word of God. It's called the Bible. So let's rehearse the three. Today we're wrapping up. Each week we've looked at one of the three. Today we're wrapping up the third one. So we got a little chart we put on the screen. So we go. So in 1 John, they call it lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Modern psychology refers to that as hedonism, materialism, and narcissism. We're probably more familiar with terms like pleasure, possessions, and position. The other point that we've been making week by week is when you fall prey to Satan's schemes, we don't even realize it, but in fact, we're building a wall between our God and ourselves and the people of God and ourselves and all the things that we really care about. And the process, we're isolating ourselves from the very abundant life that we're longing for, that it's always reaching for and never quite reach. We're building a wall as we go. And so week by week, we've been talking about these schemes, trying to understand why it's so important that we tap into the power that's available to us in Christ. So look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, another key verse for the series. Here we go, one, two, three. Be strong in the Lord and in his great power so that you can fight against the devil's evil tricks. You see the two options? You got them? The Lord has great power. Satan has evil tricks. Which one's going to win in the end? Great power always wins out over evil tricks, but you've got to tap into that power. And so we talked about pleasure we talked about possessions. Today, we're talking about uh, this idea of self-centeredness. We're talking about position or popularity, if you want to use another P word. We're talking ultimately about self-centeredness. Anybody agree with me that's a major issue today? Anybody with me on that one? Oh, we shouldn't be surprised then that Paul warned us 2,000 years ago, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, in the last days, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian for people will love only themselves. Anybody agree with me? I'm not going to get into victim mode because I'm not a victim of nobody. But any, anybody agree with me that American culture is not just secular, it in fact is anti-Christian these days. That They're actually attacking Christianity in so many kinds of ways. If Paul ever spoke the truth, 
he spoke it, and if there's ever an indicator that Jesus is coming soon, I think that's an indicator that it can't be long before he comes. Quite honestly, I fear for my grandchildren if he doesn't get here soon and what they're going to have to endure. But before we get into the how do we break free from this scheme of Satan, we need to understand how it shows up in our world. There are lots of ways that this self-centeredism shows up. Uh, Let me just mention them. First of all, there's individualism, and individualism says others don't matter. You you ever heard that on a TV show or a commercial or a movie or from a family member? Don't look at them, but I have to do what's right for me. It's expensive, but I deserve it, right? Well, let me ask you this. With that culture kind of flowing, are people getting more considerate or more rude? Yeah. I think I make my case. Move on. Secularism is the second way that self-centeredism shows up. And secularism just says God doesn't matter. The Bible is clear. Eternity is written on the hearts of mankind. In recent years, some would have you believe you can watch these polls and things, none of which I believe for a minute, but uh, these polls say that the number of atheists in the world is increasing. I don't believe that for a minute. Quite frankly, in 50 years of ministry, I've never met more than one or two people that I thought actually were atheists. They said they were atheists. I'm not sure even they were. I asked one guy one time, said he was an atheist, so what kind of God don't you believe in? And he started listing all these mean, vengeful, cosmic, killjoy kill, kill kind of God. And I said, well, good. Can I join your church? Because I don't believe in that kind of God either. Let me tell you about the God I do believe in. I don't believe that there's many atheists out there. I think what there is is in an affluent society, particularly when the economy is doing well, more and more people kind of take on the attitude, let him take care of his, his business and I'll take care of mine. I'll call you if I need you, God. I think I got it now. And that's something we can all fall into. Yeah, or, you know, it's got to, yeah, he's probably there. I just don't care kind of attitude. Narcissism is the third way that self-centeredism shows up. I think that's probably the most common. And it's just the idea that says the only thing that really matters is me, all that I'm interested in are my goals and my dreams and, and my wants. Everything gets evaluated then through this lens of, of what's in it for me. Again, anybody agree with me that you can see those three things operating in our world these days? Just get in the checkout line at Walmart one day and you'll see all three of them show up within a few minutes. That's what happens. What, what scares me is that I go to churches across our land and I see them showing up in churches. Hello? The individualism that says, as long as you meet my needs, I'll stay in your church. You stop meeting my needs, I'm out of here. The secularism that says, well, you know, don't give me all that Jesus stuff. Don't don't sing too many songs. Don't don't preach too many hard sermons because I don't really want to hear that. Church is just a social gathering. Church is a place to network for business associates. One guy said, are there any pretty girls at your church? I said, yeah. He said, okay, I'll come. So for him, it was just a, a fishing pool for pretty girls. That's all it was. And so that's often, too often the case. Narcissism says, you know, as long as I'm having fun in church, man, as long as your church is fun, I'll stay. But let another church come along that's a little more exciting, get a little more attention. Boy, I'm moving on. Church hopping is the, is the, the rule of the day, it seems. The problem is that there's a cost for these three things, and it's huge. 
And we don't even realize the price that we pay when we fall into it. For individualism, the price is loneliness. James chapter one verse or chapter four verse one. Do you know where fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. Anybody agree with me that long-term relationships cost? Anybody? God bless that hand. I see that hand. There's a, there's a cost to long-term relationships. There's a cost that says, <coughs> I'm willing to set aside what I want for the sake of the person that I'm in relationship. A willingness to set aside my personal desires for the sake of other people's needs. And that can be hard. But hear me, guys, the cost of not doing those things is loneliness and isolation. Secularism leads to helplessness. I love Job chapter 21. One of Job's so-called friends said, they say to God, go away. We want no part of you and, and your ways. Who is the Almighty and why should we obey him? What good will it do us to pray? They think their prosperity is of their own doing. I love that sentence. They think their prosperity is of their own doing. You can hear the sarcasm dripping from his lips as he says it. Have you ever stopped to think about how arrogant that statement is? I mean, a huge part of whatever prosperity you have has everything to do with where you were born. And you had no control over that whatsoever. You didn't have a say in that for a minute. A huge part of your prosperity, whatever you enjoyed, is, is simply because of the opportunities that exist because of the culture that you live in, whether you were born here or came here later. I mean, if I learned anything about living in the third world during the 80s, it's that, it's that third world countries are often populated with intelligent, inventive, talented people who just simply don't have the opportunities that we take for granted every day. Add to that life and breath and, and health and talents. All that stuff comes from God. So you can get this idea that, you know, that my prosperity is of my own doing if you want, but it's incredibly arrogant and I need you to understand <coughs> if you take a God doesn't matter approach to life, then one day, I don't want to prophesy doom, but I understand reality, one day it's going to dawn on you, I don't have control over this thing. I need a power higher than myself. The day's going to come when you're going to say, oh God, are you there? And he'll be there unless you've pushed him so very far away. Individualism leads to loneliness. Secularism leads to helplessness. Narcissism leads to hopelessness. I made an amazing discovery just, just this week. I had preached on this subject, you know, in times past over the years. And so I pulled a couple of the old sermons that I've preached on the topic to kind of research what I said before. And, and I ran across a message that I did 20 years on, ago on this subject. And, and I talked about the bestseller, the, the, the bestseller list, the nonfiction bestsellers of the day. And you know what they were 20 years ago? The number one bestseller nonfictions were looking out for number one. Some of you remember that book. How to Be Your Own Best Friend bestseller. Total self-confidence. I mean, those were the bestsellers 20 years ago. The problem is that those people read those books. I mean, thousands, maybe millions of people read those books in America, and then they reared a generation of people living in that kind of secularism, individualism, narcissism. You want to guess what the bestseller nonfiction books are now? Anybody ever research this stuff? 
Children of the Self-Absorbed is a bestseller, a grown-up guide to getting over narcissistic parents. Man, I read that and went, are you kidding me? Well, of course. Why is it always about you? It's a bestseller right now. Seven deadly sins of narcissism. What we're finally discovering is a culture in this younger generation, uh, they call them millennials and people like to make fun of millennials, but what millennials are discovering is that they were raised by individualistic, secularistic, narcissistic parents quite often, and they're discovering what God said 2,500 years ago in the Psalms, in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. And they're going, come on, there's got to be more to life than that. We'll go back 40 years ago. Some of you can go with me that far, come on. The, the, the biggest bestseller nonfiction that was out there 40 years ago, anybody remember this one? I'm okay, you're okay, remember that one? That was huge. You know, you want to say, if I look okay, I must be okay. If I look good, I must be good. That began to define our whole culture in my generation coming along as a young man. Can we just be honest for a minute? fact is, sometimes I'm not okay. And you ain't so hot yourself. <laughs> Come on. Hear me, these ideas sound so current and positive, and yet they are part of the age-old lies of the devil who said, if I can get you to focus on self, if I can get you to center your life in yourself, then you fall prey to one of my schemes, and, and you're going to pay for it in terms of loneliness, helplessness, and hopelessness. Jesus said, I came to give life. Satan came to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy that abundant life, all of which, again, leads us to building a wall that separates us from the God who made us and loves us, separates us from the people who want to be in relationship with us. We even go into churches that are welcoming and warm, and we hold them at arm's length because we think this can't be true, this must not be real. And so, I, oh, I had a guy tell me one time, I love this place, this is really cool, but I'm not going to get involved because I'm waiting for the penny to drop. I'm waiting for the real deal to show up. I said, well, you know, what you you get is who we are. (laughs) We get it right sometimes. We get it wrong sometimes. We're just real. We're just genuine. He found it hard to believe that that was true. So what's the solution? What's the solution to this trick of the devil to get us to think in a self-centered kind of way and ultimately lead to loneliness and helplessness and Hopelessness. I'm so glad you asked because if you didn't ask about anything else to talk about, I'd just let you go home. But those of you that know me know my pet peeve is for a preacher to tell me what's wrong and not tell me how to do something about it. There are three things. If you want to break free from this trick of the devil, there's three things you've got to do. And it may challenge some of your thinking this morning, but I want to challenge you. Three things you're going to do, you're going to have to do, or you will find yourself sliding into this trap. And I, I'm not telling you whether you're going to get to heaven or not. You get to heaven based on grace. We're, we're talking about living the abundant life. We're talking about fulfilling God's purpose for your life. That's what we're talking about, okay? Uh, and if you really want to fulfill God's purpose, and if you want that abundant life that he promised, there's three things you've got to do to break free from this trap of self-centeredness. If I build it up enough, we can get into it. 
three things. Number one, first, you've got to build strong relationships. You have got to build strong relationships. That, that's the beginning because, frankly, we need each other. Can I get an amen? We need each other. We need support in the difficult times of life. We need encouragement to grow in our faith. We need other members of the body of Christ to come alongside and tell us the truth when nobody else will tell us the truth when we're messing up or we're slipping out of the way. We even, this may surprise you, but we even need the conflicts that are inherent in healthy relationships because it is in working through conflicts that we have to think about my side, your side perspectives and work through that kind of stuff. Even the conflicts of our relationships are a part of helping us to become healthy and whole and to deal with the selfishness that we were all born in. So when I say we need strong relationships, understand I'm talking about the kind of relationships that actually help you to be better. <coughs> the kind of relationships that actually help you grow. I'm saying that, that, yeah, build strong relationships, but pick your relationships very, very wisely. You ever, you ever heard the story of the little bird that decided uh, that he didn't believe that. So they're flying around in Canada during the summertime, and it comes, the weather's starting to get cool, and his, his friends are starting to say, okay, it's time to fly south for the winter. And, and this little bird said, nah, I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't need that. I don't need you guys. I can handle this. I'm just going to stay here. Uh, let's just fly all the way down there. Just turn around and fly all the way back. It's not going to do it. I'm going to stay here. And so they, they finally said, you know, okay. Uh, we got to go and so they left and they left him alone and he was doing fine for a while until the weather really came the first big snowstorm came and his flying along his wings got covered in snow and found himself plummeting to the ground and there he lay in the ground covered with snow realizing that he should have listened to his friends he should have flown south he's going to die this cold wet miserable death right here and a cow comes along and stops just above him and drops a plop right on top of him and his first reaction is and then he realized hey this is kind of warm I'm gonna live so he gets up on his back legs and raises his wings and starts singing, I'm going to live, I'm going to live, I'm going to live. And a cat comes by and eats him. And the moral of the story is quite clear. Oh, the moral of the story is quite clear. Come on, sing with me. Oh, the moral of the story. Yes, the moral of the story. Oh, the moral of the story is quite clear. The moral of the story is that everybody that drops a plop on you is not necessarily your enemy. Everyone who gets you out of a plop is not necessarily your friend. And sometimes when you find yourself in a pile of plop, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I figured you'd remember the point if I told you that story. The bottom line is this. We need each other. Say it with me. We need each other. Here's how Paul said it, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11 and 12. Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from a man, so also man is born of the woman, but everything comes from God. He's saying that relationships are at the center of our lives. Is, is that true? Is it? Sure. Get up with some old friends that you haven't spent time with in a long time. But what happens? You sit around having dinner together and you're catching up. The conversation starts out with, so, so where do you live now? And 
what do you do now? And you got any kids? And you're just talking about jobs and what you do for a living. And somebody saying, I got a promotion last week. And we say, hey, that's great, man. That's cool. Yeah, well, you know, I got a new boat. And we're talking about all kinds of stuff. But eventually, here's what happens. If the conversation goes on long enough, and if the friendship was close enough uh, back then, and you're re- reconnecting, eventually somebody will get personal. And they'll say, well, you know, life is going pretty good, but, but I did lose my grandma last year, and, and I've had a hard time with that. You and I both know what happens. Once the conversation goes to that level of intimacy about a relationship, it never goes back. Because inherently, we understand that relationships are the center of our lives. If someone were to say after that, I got a raise, we'd all look at him like, are you stupid, man? We're talking about this guy's grandma. What you, who cares you got a raise, right? Because we understand that relationships, at the end of the day, are the center of our lives. Life came from relationship, and health continues when we stay connected in relationship. But go back to the passage. Paul doesn't just say we need each other. How does, how does the passage end? But everything, say with me, but everything comes from God. In other words, healthy human relationships depend on a healthy relationship with the God who made us. You can put it in terms of a chart if you want to there, there, with, with two arrows. You got the, the arrow up and down that talks about your relationship with God, this vertical relationship with God, and then there's the horizontal relationships we have with our fellow man. And we all know it doesn't take long for you to figure out that the only way you have healthy relationships with your fellow man is if you have a healthy relationship with the God who made you. Is that right? Some of you are here today because you tried this without this and it didn't work out. And the result is you went, whoa, maybe I, maybe I need to start at the beginning. Everything comes from God. Establish a relationship with God and then out of that relationship with him, work on my relationship with my fellow human being, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a family relationship, whatever it is. You understand why God made us that way, right? You understand why he did that? It's because he knew what Satan's tricks would be. And he knew that one of his tricks would be trying to get us to be self-centered. But he also knew that self-centeredness leads to loneliness and helplessness and hopelessness. So he, he established a system whereby we have relationship with him and then we have relationship with one another. And out of those relationships comes the abundant life that we all long for and want desperately to find, and yet so often is just barely out of reach. I mentioned at the outset uh, to this morning that Kim and I celebrated our anniversary last weekend. You know, those kind of events get you to thinking, and, uh, and I remember vividly three weeks, three weeks before I met Kim, her brother and I were, were uh, roommates in Bible college, and we were riding along one day, and he was getting serious with his girlfriend, who we eventually married. And, and I said, well, I'm in no hurry to get married. I'm, I'm enjoying bachelor life. I am a bee whose call in life is to go from flower to flower to flower. It would be selfish of me to only go to one flower when so many flowers need me. And then I met Kim. <laughs> And I was smitten. 
<laughs> it was all over. All I could think about is what can I do to make her happy? What can I do to meet her needs? What can I do? That was 45 years ago. And we've had lots of highs and lots of lows over the years. But can I tell you that I figured out a long, long time ago, when we get into a stress point, when I feel a strain in our marriage, the heart of the strain is I forgot. Somewhere along the way, all the junk that was going on pushed out the truth that I love this woman more than I love myself. The best thing that's ever happened to me short of my relationship with Christ is this woman came into my life and I love her more than anything. And, and when I remember, when I just come back to remembering that simple truth, my shift, my focus shifts from my needs and what I want and what I desire to her. And the minute it does, everything changes. And we don't have to resolve all the issues to be reconciled. We can work on that later. Right now, we just come back together because I remember. That's what love does, guys. It moves you from a self-centered approach that ultimately costs to an other-centered approach to life that ultimately pays. Now, let me ask you honestly, does that come naturally? No, it doesn't which is why the vertical relationship is so critical because quite often human love runs dry. Human love is inadequate. Often we don't have enough grace to give to the people that we want to be gracious to, so we need a source and a resource of love and grace. His name is Jesus Christ. The kind of relationships I'm talking about only come supernaturally. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his great love for us in this way. Read it with me. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. In other words, Jesus is the role model for unselfishness, and he is the source of power for us to be unselfish too. We establish the vertical link with him. We get the resources that we need. The result is that we have strong Horizontal relations. Here's a little side trip. I'll throw it in free. You don't have to put any extra in the offering. Do you, do you understand that's, that's why we structure our church the way we do? I don't know, you don't even think, you know, about how churches are organized and structured, and lots of them are structured in different kinds of ways, but we don't do a lot of big concerts and big events and big kind of, you know why we don't do that? Because the heart of our church is relationships. And so what we do is we understand that all of us need uh, relationships at different levels, and we try to organize ourselves in such a way that all of those levels of relationship uh, are available. Some of you are familiar with this stuff, but, but uh, all of us need, for instance, acquaintances. And acquaintances are the kind of relationship that, that uh, they're fairly superficial. They're, hi, I recognize your face. I'm trying to remember your name. Big smile. Yeah, we got something in common. That's an acquaintance. How many acquaintances can the average person have? Anybody know? Hundreds, thousands. I've got thousands of acquaintances on, on three continents. I mean, I see them. Hey, man, it's good to see you again. I mean, it's, that, that's a good thing. It makes you feel part of a community, makes you feel part of a world. But we need deeper level relationships than that. We need what's called companion level relationships. And companion level relationships are where you do know each other by name. And you do have some level of common interest and common goals. And you, you work together. Uh, and that puts you in relationship with one another called companion level relationships. And then ultimately we all need friends. 
Some psychologists say we need about 10 friends. I think if you find one in a lifetime, you count yourself blessed. Friend. But we've structured ourselves. It's on the chart. Here we go. We've structured ourselves that way. The acquaintance level relationships for us are our weekend services. Anybody here know everybody in the room? I mean, I've been trying for two and a half years to memorize names, and I'm still struggling. I walked up to somebody the other day and said, hey, I don't think we've met yet. Yeah, we met last Sunday. Oh, I'm so sorry. They're acquaintance-level relationships. Is that okay? Yeah, I love to be in Walmart or Belks or somewhere and say, hey, you go to the bridge. Yeah, you go to the bridge. There's, there's a connection that happens, even though it's fairly superficial. The next level is the companion level, and that's what our serve teams are for. If you haven't gotten on a serve team, there's a reason we want you to be on a serve team. It's not... Because we need you to do stuff. Okay, we need you to do stuff. But (laughs) what are we doing? We're trying to give you the mechanism to break free from the self-centeredness that leads to, did I mention it leads to loneliness and helplessness and hopelessness? So the way you do that is you find a serve team, an area of interest for you, and test drive says, well, okay, kick the tires. Try this out. If it doesn't work, go, go try a different team. There's no guilt trips around here. You're not obligating yourself for life. You're just going to check it out, see if it fits. If it does, then, then you continue doing that. If it doesn't, we'll help you find another area. There's lots of areas where you can serve. But again, it's not just to get you to do stuff. It's because you need that level of relationship. And then ultimately, we need friends. We need people that, that we know, we know by name, that we trust that we can share what's really going on in our lives. We can ask hard questions and know that we won't be rejected because we were confused about something or we didn't understand something or we didn't like something. And those friends are with you and they stick with you. And I'm talking about the kind of people that walk in when everybody else is walking out. We need one, maybe eight or ten. And for us, that's bridge groups. I know as soon as I start talking about bridge groups, there's, there's a percentage of you that immediately starts saying, yeah, man, I had no idea what, what my Christian life could be until I got into a group and I started building relationships with these people and my, my relationship with God went to a whole nother level when I built those relationships. And I know that there's a percentage of you in this room who says, oh, Jim, quit talking about groups. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on in my life to get involved in groups. Ah, I ain't got time for that. I just, uh, please stop talking about groups. I don't want to hear about Groups, here's what I need you to hear me say, and I'm going to move on. We need all three levels of relationship. We need acquaintances, we need companions, and we need friends. Understand the difference between a need and a want? I I want Bojangles for breakfast. I don't need it. Probably shouldn't even have it, right? I need air, right? See the difference? You're going to get your needs met somewhere. The only question is, will your need for acquaintances, companions, and friends be met with people who share your interest, who will help you to grow in your faith, who will walk with you as you go on this journey toward the abundant life? That's the only question. Here's what I know for Christians, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, you are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. The first step or key to breaking free from self-centeredness is build strong, healthy relationships. Ready for number two? I just saw the clock, I promise we'll 
we'll land this thing, okay? Number two is you've got to give yourself away. You've got to give yourself away. I know some of you thought Pastor Andy was crazy last week when he got up and said the antidote to materialism is to give. That's crazy. Well, I'm crazier than Andy is. I'm not talking about if you want, to be, you want the antidote to self-centeredness, you've got to give some stuff away. I'm saying if you want the antidote to self-centeredness, you've got to give yourself away. You've got to say, this life is not my own. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to find something that I can do, some way that I can serve unselfishly, sacrificially. I'm going to do something. And that might be in a regular area of service uh, in, in a church like ours on Sunday mornings. It might be uh, out in the community somewhere. Who, I don't know what it is. But serving unselfishly is a way of breaking free from our own self-focus. You understand why they named it the Dead Sea, right? Because it's the lowest place on the planet and all of the waters from that region flow into the Dead Sea. But there is no water flowing out of the Dead Sea. The result is that it's become the capture spot for all of the salts and all of the minerals and all of the stuff, the pollution and everything else of that entire region. And so it's the Dead Sea because there's no life there. Fish can't live in it. Uh, wildlife can't drink from it. Plants can't grow along its shores. It's dead. And why is it dead? Because it gets and gets and gets, but it never gives. Healthy lakes are constantly giving their waters away with no expectation that they're ever going to come back. Hello? They get into a river and they flow along the river and everywhere the river goes, there's life. Fish and, and wildlife and plant life and it flows into an ocean and this constant process of, of evaporation brings it back to the lakes that flows down the rivers. There's this constant cycle of giving it away and giving it away and giving it away. That's what this Christian life is ultimately all about. Ephesians 2.10, God has given us new lives from Christ Jesus and long ago he planned that we should spend these lives getting everything we can get. in helping others. I love the story about the early days of the Salvation Army. They had their first international conference. And of course, General William Booth, who formed the Salvation Army, was invited to come and share his vision for the future. And he wasn't able to make it to London, <coughs> or from London to the States, where they had the gathering and... Uh, and so at the last minute, he said, well, I'll at least send a telegram for them. And he had somebody get up and read the telegram. He stood before that first international conference of the Salvation Army and said, we have a telegram from General Booth. It is the vision of the Salvation Army. It had one word. Anybody know what the word was? Others. Others. General Booth understood that defining your life by money, by success, by power, or by hurts and by past stuff, will never bring a satisfying life. He knew the only life that we long for requires a focus that we focus on others. Here's how Jesus said it, Mark 8, 35. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will Save it. The sad reality again is that there are thousands of people in churches all across this land 
today who never challenged the idea that going to church is not about getting something. Going to church is about giving. It's about doing. It's about being. And ultimately we receive because that's just the nature of our God. We offer worship and he gives blessing. We offer tithes and offerings and he multiplies our resources. We offer our talents and he multiplies those talents. We offer those things to him and he multiplies them. But we don't do it to get. We, the only reason we want to get is we'll have more to give. Otherwise, we pay the high price of self-centeredness, of loneliness, helplessness, and hopelessness. Which leads us to the third key. If you want to break free from this trap of Satan, you got to build strong, healthy relationships. You got to uh, remember to give yourself away, find ways to give yourself away. And number three, here's the hard one you got to practice self denial. You got to practice self denial. There is no point on this side of eternity that any of what I've just said to you is going to come naturally. That you're going to be challenged every day you get up to say, What's in it for me? What am I going to get today? How can people meet my needs today? Why isn't my wife doing this for me? Why is my husband doing that for me? Why isn't my boss treating me like I deserve? That, that's human nature. That's what we do. So we have to practice self-denial. I like the way Paul said it to the church at Philippi, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That word look, if you're taking notes, circle it is the Greek word skopos. What English words do we get from skopos? Microscope, periscope. It, it means to focus your attention on something that's away from you, to focus in on something that's not here, but it's there. And he's saying you need to be aware of, sensitive to the needs of those who are around you, your husband, your wife, your coworkers, not just your own needs, guys. When you come home from work at the end of the day and you're exhausted and your back hurts and, and you just all you want to do is get in your recliner and veg out, maybe you ought to get up and wash dishes. You're a pin drop in this room all of a sudden. <laughs> but a guy actually challenged me one time and said, what are, what are they saying in the Bible? It's the man's job to wash dishes. And I said, well, actually, 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 13 says, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So there it is, brothers. Go home and wash the dishes. <laughs> Ladies, you'll get yours soon enough, okay? I got to close. You guys hear what I'm trying to say? We live in a culture that says live for self. And where has that gotten us? Isolated and alone. Separated from God and separated from the very things that makes life worth living. The antidote to that is to build strong, healthy relationships, the kind that connect with God and connect with one another, to give yourself away and ultimately to practice self-denial. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me in a culture that says indulge yourself assert yourself promote yourself Jesus says take up your cross which is a means of execution now please understand me when I say die practice self-denial 
I'm not saying put yourself down. God didn't make no junk. You were a child of the king. He gave you gifts and talents and abilities, and you ought to walk in that. That's not humility when you say, I don't have that stuff. That, that's false modesty. Or that's humiliating yourself. That's not what we're talking about. Self-denial, dying to self, just simply says, I have something worthy of offering to the God of the universe. It's me. Lord, if you'll have me, I'm yours. Self-denial at the end of the day is not dying, it's living. It's living out God's purposes for your life. You want to avoid the high cost of self-centeredness? You want the fulfilling life that he promised? You want to be able to say to Satan, no, you are not going to do that to me. I will not be self-centered in the way I relate to my spouse. I will not be self-centered in the way I relate to my kids or my coworkers or my church members or my community. I will not be self-centered in the way I deal with people. I will not fall into your trap. I will build healthy, strong relationships that point me to God and others who share my faith. I will give myself away. I will practice self-denial. At the end of the day, Satan, you're a liar and a loser. And I get to the abundant life that Jesus promised. Let's pray. Bow your heads for just a minute. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but here's the prayer. You may have prayed something like this before. Maybe you never have. I don't know. But in this moment, it's decision time. Here's the prayer. Say it in your own words if you like. God, I choose to live an other-centered life. And I'm going to need your help living it out. So forgive me for my own selfishness. Forgive me for my own self-centeredness. I know they just lead to loneliness and helplessness and hopelessness. Would you give me a fresh start today? And then would you give me the power to take on the attitude of Christ Jesus who thought it not equality to be equal with God but gave up his place in glory took on the form of a man, not just a man, but a servant. Not just service, but service all the way to death. Not just death, but the worst possible kind of death, death by crucifixion. To be a role model of unselfishness and to provide the resources to live an unselfish life. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, please. Father, you know who's praying. You know every relationship they're in. I pray simply right now 
that you're speaking life to them. You're letting them know that you not only hear their prayer, but you are so excited about the prayer that they're praying because you know it's a key to the abundant life you want them to have. Thank you for loving us that much. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together,